Everybody, and welcome to another True Stories of Tinseltown. And we have a fab-o, fab-o, fab-o guest. And his name is Joe Brutzman. Hi, Joe. Hello. Hi, Grace. <laughs> and he's written a really good book. I want you guys, uh, well, we're going to talk, you know, we can't talk about all of it, but I'm, we're going to get to some juicy stuff. And it's a great book, and the title is Marlon and Greg, My Life and filmmaking adventures with Hollywood's polar opposites, Marlon Brando and Gregory Peck. And it was a great book, Joe. Say again? I'm sorry, the last thing you said? I said it was a great book. Well, thank you. I thought that's what you said. I wanted you to say it again. There we go. <laughs> booger you. Okay, Jose. <laughs> no more of that. Yes, it All is right. a wonderful book, and I'll say it at the well, end. Well, thank you. Thank I you so much. I enjoyed it a lot. And um, did it take you a while to write? You know, I, I, I was trying to gauge that the other day because it was only about a year and a half ago. I said, I'm going to do this. I, I found that picture of Greg and Marlon. That actually is a it, the, the cover is uh, only half the picture. Right next to on Marlon's right is uh, Rock Hudson and uh, Cary Grant in a very famous photo with all four of them. Were they and all I dressed said, up? In like yeah, you know, uh, no, Mar- Mar- Marlon was dressed up because he was actually making the Ugly American on the sitcom oh. a lot. They they were all at Universal at that time, ah. and that was the actual time to kill a mockingbird. Marlon made the Ugly American. I don't know what Grant and and Hudson were doing, but um, I th- I have a feeling Lou Wasserman or some big shot wanted them all to come up there and pose for him or something. You know, yeah. here, here's here's my property, and. Um, I look at Greg and Marlon, and I just thought, my God, I started looking at more photos of them. There's a few photos of both of them. And then I just kept thinking back to how they they talked about each other or wouldn't talk about each other and how much uh, time I got to spend with both of them, uh, frankly, by way of, again, my my then wife was the – she's become the – she runs the estate for the Brando Mm -hmm. – the state uh, as it is today. And of course, my writing partner at the time when I was a, a produced writer in Hollywood and at studios was Tony Peck, which was Greg's son, of course. So, so I if, had this. Uh, go ahead. Yes. I, I'm sorry. I sound like I'm putting up my Duke such a, but I just wanted to kind of set the stage for how you met Tony Peck because you came to Juilliard and that's how yeah. you met him because you're a kid from the Midwest, right? Yes, my sister and I got into the same class at Juilliard. Back then, Juilliard drama was still a very young school. It was actually only 12 years old. Um, they would number the groups, and that we were group 12. And my sister and I got into the same class, which hmm. was unusual. And um, one of our classmates was Tony Peck. And, you know, it was he was just a, a fun, interesting guy who I talk about in the book. I was really almost afraid to meet. I just... Uh, for some reason here, I, I wanted to make films. I wanted to do theater and all these things, but I was not uh, that advanced in how to present myself to people who I knew 
had these big lives. Like? And Tony was certainly one of those people. Like? Yeah. We want to mention Val Kilmer and... Oh, Val, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I mentioned, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah, and I mentioned Kevin and Val because I, I, you know, as much as I really kind of call them out at times in the book, I... I I have to admire they were when they were young they were just go-getters about That's such it. things. Exactly. It, oh my god and Kevin was amazing. I mean Kevin Kevin will tell stories on himself about the audacious things he did mm-hmm. and um he at least he used to. And and I don't I haven't talked to Val for years but it's uh I looked at people who often as much as it was their talent of course I could also let me shut this off here. Um, and I'm sorry, a call came through, and I'm going to. Hello? Jose? Jose, hello? <laughs> yes, hello, I'm there. <laughs> okay. I was checking if Jose I'm was so there. sorry. No, that's His okay. phone. Yeah. So anyway, that, yes, there were interesting people there, and, and – um, so how did you um, finally meet Tony and become friends? Did he make well, the first move? Did you make the first move? Did your sister well, make the first we, move? Well, we, we, we became friends. The class is so small. Mm-hmm. And we, after a while, like I said, you start with 27 kids and 14 of those kids are left by the end. At wow. the end of the fourth year, we, we were pretty good friends. And we, uh, as I talk about in the book, we're really the only two to go out to L.A. You, you really kind of get... Um, it happens in your head that you should stay in New York and stay in the theater. And of course, this right. was years ago when I think there was maybe a more possible path to such a thing. Right. Um, but mostly you learn theater, so you understand. And at the time, Juilliard, I think, ridiculously did not even teach film acting, which was totally different. And you get out to L.A. and you have to learn how to not shout and, right. and project to the balcony Subtle, and all these things. So, subtly. Yeah. Know, instead of the bigger I, movements and stuff. Yeah. yeah but I, I love TV and film always. That's why I got into theater um, in the Midwest, which was, you know, as I talk about, is, is theater back then was closer to film than than. than Anything you could do with Super 8 film or, or, or there, there, there was no video back then. You couldn't just start making your own movies. So I, I once I got into theater with my sister, once I got through school, I wanted to uh, went out to L.A. because I really wanted to do film and TV. And I think Tony just went out back west again to be with his family. But he was working already. And so we were the only two from our class from Group 12 out in L.A. And mm-hmm. we started hanging out and we said we should write we should write something because we would always laugh and tell jokes mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> it just evolved and then we started writing scripts kind of based on our own misadventures and things like that i guess it'd be around 1987 mm-hmm. so uh it started from there and then we we started getting better at it and we we had some success and sold a few things and uh we still write today. Tony lives in, in Aspen, but uh, <clears throat> I work in different places, and we we stay in touch. And thank God, the way things work these days, uh, you can kind of live anywhere and stay yes, creative. So, which is amazing. That's yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and so you guys came back, and hence that is how you ended up meeting Gregory Peck through your friend Tony. Yeah, yeah, and um, I. Uh, as I talk about, I wasn't really, 
I wasn't sure. I I'd met Greg. I said hello, and and I was just you know he's an amazing presence. Oh my goodness! How and, tall is he? Is he he tall? <laughs> he, he seems taller than you could you could think. I I know he's over six feet, but he just seems much oh, taller. He's handsome and devil. Yes, isn't it? Some, I mean, oh. this is someone this rare person who it seemed even the more he matured, the more handsome he got. He did. He was a good yeah. hunk of hunk of burning love from all oh the way my God. from top to bottomist from young. Young to older. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I, I always talk about in the book a lot, too, because he really just he was very aware of, of his image. And, 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 and I don't think to a not, not to a horrible extent to where it made him vain or anything. Mm-hmm. He was just very aware. And once uh, Tony and I started succeeding as writers, he hired us to write an adaptation of, of a, a film he wanted to do, which we were hoping would be, uh, well, we didn't want it to be, be his last film, but we were hoping at least to get it made because it was an adaptation of Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries. And it was a wonderful script, and, and we had permission from Ingmar Bergman to do it. And through that project, I really got to know Greg. And we, again, once you start working with the Pecs, you, you kind of, you get to know all of them. And um, it's a wonderful family, of course. I mean, they're really... Veronique, uh, is that his wife's name? Veronique? Yes, yes, Veronique was... Uh, Veronique. Um, she was a journalist way back. I think they met when he was probably back doing Roman Holiday or something like that. Huh. And um, He had children, she, though. He had been married prior. <clears throat> yes, and mm-hmm. he had three sons uh, before he met Veronique. And um, uh, one committed suicide. Oh, I mentioned that because geez. it's a... It's a it's a big part of the book, and it's yes. also uh, I didn't know that. that. Mm. Yeah, and Greg talked about it a lot um, later in life because uh, I can't imagine. Obviously, you no, I, I can't. And as I say in the book, you know, Marlon went through very much the, the same thing with his, his children. Daughter. So yeah. it's heart wrenching. Yeah. So as much as oh. they were polar opposites as human beings, they had much sorrow in common with their children and as human beings. That, 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 that's yeah. what I've, I, I watched so carefully and I just thought they're so different. But you could see, you know, you, you'd start to see the lives that these children had as well. You know, not like not like we all have. It really isn't. And, and I know people think, oh, that must be an easy life. But it, it really isn't. I can see you, you take away so many things, I think, from people being born into something that expects so much or just thinks you have so much and yeah uh, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing yeah and he was never to you tony was never like a brat or anything like that he was just a cool dude that you hung with who happened to have a yeah cool dude, yeah he, after father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean tony was interesting in that he was he was a very he was a real free spirit mm-hmm. and he was he just loved to have a good time and as i joke about in the book he he sometimes it was uh I think he, I think sometimes he felt the burden when when his father was such a stoic figure, if you will. Yeah. And when he was and he was married to Cheryl Teagues for years, who was she had her own image that was very yes proper. And you know she was she was such an amazing businesswoman. She had this huge contract at Sears and Roebuck. And I mention all that because Tony was you know Tony was very carefree and like I said free spirited. And um, he was around two rigid more rigid types. More um, control types, I I suppose. You always said, I I want to say this funny thing you would say. I'm sorry, I'm I'm bumping into you again. But on the subject of Cheryl Teague, she said, we would have a lunch uh, with with the the PACs 
or we would have a healthy lunch with Cheryl Diggs. So yes, you yes. always made well. that different observance <laughs> whenever you had lunch with them. And then you always said you would have a healthy lunch at Cheryl Teague's house. Right. Well, Cheryl was just so disciplined and mm-hmm. so, again, and you would watch her do business. And as I said, uh, I, I do a whole little uh, part in the book on Cheryl because, you know, it was fascinating to, to meet someone like that, too, who I'd, I'd watched on television since I was young and she was much younger. And I thought, that, people don't seem to realize this whole supermodel and spokesmodel thing kind of came about with someone like Cheryl. Right. And, you know, at the time when I met Cheryl, you could make the case in certain circles she was almost as big as Gregory. You know, she was huge. And I I know these distinctions of when you're big and when you're not big, all that stuff is so tacky in its right. own way. But it's it's a lot to deal with when you are, you know, just dealing with everyday life. And I said, Tony always had to deal with all these things all the time. So he's, he's quite good at it. Though. Yeah, having it with his father and having... Because Gregory, you know, I have to be honest, when I read the book, um, Gregory was like I thought he would be. Also, I talked to two um, guys. They did this great book. They were like high school kids. They just graduated from high school, and they it was in the 70s, and they got Fred Astaire to talk to him. I think they were from the Midwest as well. They flew out mm-hmm. to California. They couldn't even rent a car. They had to take whatever and bikes and whatever. But they talked to 75 different classic Hollywood stars. And they talked first wow. to Fred Astaire. And when everybody heard, oh, you talked to Fred, you know, that was like the, oh, it's okay. They, he talked sure. to Fred, so we'll do it. Sure. Fred said, okay. I said, okay. So he met Gregory. They met Gregory Peck and they liked him and they had a soda with him and sat in the backyard and he was wearing his shorts and he was self-conscious because he didn't want them to show his skinny legs. <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah, you know that? No, he, well, I, you know, like I said, uh, I, I, I talk about it in the book. Sometimes he would just go out that way, but he was also very aware of that too. I think by, especially by the end, he was very much just sort of getting more carefree about that. But that story does not surprise me at all. He was, he was very, yeah. Again, talk about someone the opposite of Marlon, <laughs> and. What and and I, I, Marlon, that's a riot. Oh, my. And, and, and I think that, you know, when I started writing the book, I would talk to people about it. And the thing would I'd constantly hear the same things. It was like, does anyone really want to see Is there really think, anything else to say about Gregory Peck? And do we need another book about Brando? Because there's so yes. many. Yes. And I thought, well, I, I, I think I have a different perspective than Boy. that. And. The, the comparison to me was always constant, and in it then I had to very much put myself into it as well of, as, of course, Avra working with Marlon and Tony and his father, of right. course. Mm-hmm. And that these lives would cross over every now and then, but I still never got over the fact that they just had, uh, I dare say, almost kind of a jealousy of one another. That's so you know? weird. I want to ask you, so... First time you went to one of their what what was the name of their street and they would have like parties and they would have like Hollywood <coughs> dinner parties for real Hollywood schmollywood kind of parties right Great yeah Grand- right Grand- on, on, Car- on Carol would drive the packs had these these famous parties yes. and people would talk about them in L A the uh, if there's a party at the packs on Carolwood and uh, yeah and they were regular events. Um, I, I was always shocked to be there. <laughs> I love the one where you you went to and you were sat with Diane Cannon, 
Um, my father's girlfriend, Angie Dickinson, man, did he have the hots for her. And um, <laughs> he did, hubba, hubba. I just didn't get it, but my mother would always tell me that's his girlfriend. And um, Shirley MacLaine, who was always Shirley MacLaine. off and on, but you had a really good time. You said that they were very charming and beautiful and... I, well, it was shocking to me only because I had been to other parties at Carrollwood, but this was a real sit-down event. Yeah. And, and I, I, as I said, I didn't even know what it was for because the Pecs would have these epic things going on. It happened to be on the, the day that Tony and I sold uh, our first major script to 20th Century Fox. And so, um, yeah, they put me at this table, and there the three of them were, and, and it was – I still remember every bit of it so well because, I mean, how do you not? <laughs> you sit there and uh, they were just so nice and they were so curious about the script. And, you know, they weren't uh, – I, I analyze it so much as I do everything in the book. And I, as I said in the book, I think it's because here I was, this young person selling something. And I think now as years go by, you think when you meet young people in the business who have a, a – they have their first bit of success. Right. And I think you find that charming. I mean, you, you think, oh, how great yeah. how, that you're just kind of looking at pure potential. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's very different than you know, 30 years in the yeah, business. Yeah, I've been and down that road and back and back and back and back. Griping yeah. about the same things <laughs> yeah. with the same people, you know. Yeah. So I remember that moment that I was still on a TV show at the time because I was one? an actor you're as on, well. Yes, you're on. I know you did. I'm, I'm reading your IMDb. You did. A scarecrow, Mrs. King, and you were like I did scarecrow, Mrs. King. Yes, I did that for a couple seasons, and then I also the the show I was on at the time was a a Dabney Coleman show called uh, The Slap Maxwell Story, and I played his son. It was a one season show right Mm -hmm. after he and the same creator had done Buffalo Bill, and so I mentioned I talk a lot about it in the book because that's where I met Avra. who became my wife mm-hmm. and of course she knew Marlon so uh, and I love Dabney Coleman he's just a, a, a unique character actor who is kind of in a class by himself and I, you know I, he like every actor I'd meet they would just kind of worship Brando and Gregory Peck when I'd mention knowing Greg to 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 Dabney he would almost like cry you know because <laughs> he, he, he they studied at the same school and, oh they did you know you think at different yeah, times yeah, think, though different times different times uh-huh. but uh in fact Dabney I think wanted to go to neighborhood playhouse because he knew Gregory Peck had gone there and um so yeah it's it it, it, it was interesting to still be acting while I started writing with Tony but then the writing kind of took over and pretty soon we were writers. Right. And, uh, How exciting. And you, all that other stuff. But first I want to get to, um, now we're going to bring us into the <clears throat> Marlin, your first meeting with Marlin. And this was after, was this after the tragedy with um, Christian Brando? Yes. The death yeah. of Cheyenne's uh, fiance. I had met Avra on the show, Slap Maxwell. She was in the art department before the incident. But then the incident happened, and I knew she was very tight with the family. She had gone to school with some of the children. And Marlon really trusted Avra. And uh, Cheyenne, the girl at the center of that incident, loved Avra. And Marlon really felt he needed someone like Avra to... Run in, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say run interference. It was just to, to help him with all these incidents because he was co managing her 
mental challenges that were obvious and, yeah. and, and understandable. On top of the the whole trial of his Christian, son, which yeah. was yeah, it was a you know like an OJ trial before OJ, and it was huge. It was all epic, and that was one other reason why I didn't want to meet Marlon at that time. I just thought this is so sad and so tragic, and I don't. He doesn't need to meet me. But Avra and I were coming together and, and living together at the time, and uh, she would always talk about Marlon. And I thought, boy, that's probably the last person I want to meet. I, I, I went through Juilliard where we were taught to really worship at the altar of Brando, and I did. I Once I really saw what acting was about, learning it through Juilliard, I thought, man, Marlon Brando really is the real deal. I, it's not these... You know, you grow up and you hear about it and you think everyone's just kind of posing along with the same lines about right. how great he is. But you really go back to the time and you watch. It doesn't matter if, whether it's, you know, streetcar or, or, or on the waterfront. You, you, and, and as I do in the book constantly, you, you have to put in the time period of when cinema was changing so much. Yeah. And suddenly it went from this kind of proscenium of, of theater to, into this really dark and close-up place and we were trying to do what Europe was already doing make films for adults even though there was no we, we didn't have a rating system at the time in the 50s but you know it's it's amazing to think that on the I mean a streetcar could exist in 1951 when you think of how Hollywood was still so censored and so ridiculously yes. uh, you know making films for children frankly and Brando and streetcar come along so yes, I had I had all kinds of different fears about Marlon Brando, um, but by then I had known Greg for a while, and I thought if I can, if I can be around and deal with Gregory Peck, I think I can be around with Brando. And I didn't have a choice anyway. Aubrey said you have to meet him because he wants to meet you. And you'd, I think I spent a year, uh, over a year, not you know just kind of not wanting to meet him. <laughs> and then <laughs> I think I, I go into the book in detail, finally just sitting there and, and being grilled by him and being judged and having him decide whether I'm wor <laughs> worthy to live with Avra or not. So, But the day came and you went in. I went in and um, it was, I, I'll tell you what it was too. <laughs> it was exactly what I thought. I, I, um, I was learning how to work with people, I think, at a higher level because of Gregory. Right. And I thought, you know, Marlon, I had already heard it. I'd, I'd heard everything about Marlon through opera. So I knew he like, he fancied himself kind of a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. I think he fancied. Him. So I thought I can't say no to people. And how in the world would I ever say no to Marlon Brando? So if he wants to write or do something or, or take up my time or even take up my life, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid I'm probably just going to enlist. And sure enough, it just, it happened project by project. And I always said I would never do that. I told Avra all the time, you know, I, I, I know you work for him. I know you have to put in a lot of hours, but I I just can't do that. And, and you know, big spoiler all the way ahead through the end of the book, there was, there was a whole year I worked for him 24 hours a day practically. Whole another story, but uh, when I was doing his acting tapes. But again... The evolution of, of getting to know Marlon and then really being part of the the operation there up at Mulholland uh, was it, it was quite a journey. And you know, he was just so unique, as, as I hope comes through in the book. And oh my I, goodness! I, like I, what you, I just loved him. Mm. 
Well, I, what, I, what I'm appreciating, someone said to me the other day, they, they, they had read the book, and what I really liked, someone said, you know, I always thought he must just been a pain in the ass troublemaker um, who was, you know, if anything, was he just overrated? Or, or what, kind of, what kind of baby was he? You know, people, some people have very negative ideas about Marlon Brando. And they said they read the book and they really felt for him. Me too. And they felt that he was just, you know, he was almost a victim practically. And I, I go into that quite a bit, especially when uh, I just realized he just couldn't trust anybody. You know, he, he had a fame that was kind of off the chart crazy. And and when I finally got to a point, I finally got to a point where I could tell him that I, he knew that. I mean, he didn't need me to tell him that, but I don't think a lot of people always got into those discussions with him, but that was just my luck. I was lucky to get to spend time with him. And at the time he didn't have a lot of male friends. He always loved being surrounded by women. <laughs> and a lot of his staff were just old girlfriends or, you know, Aubrey was a rare exception. It was someone he thought of as, as his daughter. Yeah. Well, he, his maid was one of the, uh, he, she had a couple of kids with Marlon, right? One of the maids. Yes, one, of, the one, maids one, of the the maids. Maids. one of the maids, yes. <laughs> and then there was another housekeeper by the end. And, and so and, uh, he, he just was always, and it's funny, that kind of speaks for itself. You know, by the time, he, by the time he wasn't out there in the world meeting women, he was, he was still meeting women in his house, so to speak. And I, I know that sounds a bit crass, but you know what I mean. Yeah, he was he always was. just, he was just, a, he was, he was a, a rascal. He had spent a life. He was, yes, it, completely. And he, he just seemed like a rascal to me sometimes. You just want to oh go my God. and take his little chubbiness tummy and go, <laughs> <laughs> all right, you little rascal. <laughs> but yeah. I really, no, I always liked him, and I, um, but I never worshipped a bit, and I, I'm going to come clean and, and say, you know, I saw a streetcar, I saw um, on the waterfront, and people are going to I'm sorry, I know I'm a classic Hollywood person, but I have never, ever seen The Godfather, and I never saw Apocalypse Now, two of his big old, big old movies. Can mm-hmm. you believe that? I'm going to start. I'm going to watch him. I have to. But I mean, I just never thought he, I was always fascinated, but I really felt, I, I felt like, I wanted to give him a big hug, and I wanted to. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And kind of, yeah. I I don't know. He I thought he was funny. I laughed at so much of the stuff you wrote about him, and um, I love when he met <laughs> Tony Peck. He comes out. He's wearing his mumu and his his tidy whities <laughs> and it's one of his diet days. So he has this huge <laughs> salad, and then he puts his feet right in Tony's face. <laughs> Well, that was uh, that was such an amazing day for me because I I didn't know if I could get Tony up there, and as the book explains, uh, it's it was a real path because it was all about Marlon wondering if he should pay taxes in another country. And once oh, I yeah. told Mar, I told Marlon that the Gregory Peck and his wife were very tight with Jacques Chirac of France, and France had a lower tax rate. And he had to meet Tony, and 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 it was it was so funny because. As I talk about in the book, Tony had probably met everybody in the world but Marlon Brando. And uh, the day actually was the day that then Tony 
started drafting the idea that we get Marlon in this script we had called Free Money. And it turned out to be a, a film that got made. And it turned out to be Marlon's last starring role. But when he met Tony, well, yes, it was funny because he always had this, you know, as I said, Marlon, he didn't trust Hollywood kids, as he called him. And he, he, he always had this thing about Greg that he wasn't thrilled about. What did and he not day, like about him? Was. Did he, he think he wasn't a good actor, that he was stiff or that he you know was... What? I, too good looking or maybe he thought that he looked uh, down on him or something i think there's something there you know they had seven years apart in career in life and everything and and they there you like i said you can find four or five major pictures with greg and marlon together they cross paths all the time there's telegrams between greg and marlon about uh, who they should bring to the next civil rights march oh, yeah because um, they had that in common <clears throat> yes so i i think somewhere in that, along the way and I don't know if it was something as simplistic as just the Oscars, which Greg was Greg was like a, a company man with the Oscars, and Marlon walked away from the Oscars. But I don't think it was even something that pedestrian, if you will. I I, I don't know something where one of them. I just think one of them just said the hell with him, and then that was kind of it. And i I could talk to both of them about a lot of things, but I never really I never had the courage to say what is it about him that you don't like to Marlon I, I even because I think no. I would yeah yeah no I, you, you, I I think back now and I think yes, why didn't those words come out of my mouth because he was but pretty I open yeah, but i uh I, I think somewhere along the way there was there was something. And maybe not even specific. They just drifted away. But they used to show up and all the same stuff. They knew the same people. But I think somewhere Hollywood kind of turned the the, – what what would I say? The the people who really presented Hollywood in a positive way kind of thought Marlon was just – not on their side. He was just, there was nothing left for him but, but rebellion. And I think Marlon would see someone like Greg as, I think it frustrated Marlon, I'll put it this way. I know I talk about it in the book a lot. Uh, it's easy to champion Hollywood if you, if you love it because it's, it, it's not hard. You can do it. Uh, there became a time when it wasn't cool for a while in the, in the 60s and 70s. And I don't think Marlon ever looked at the barometer or the gauge of what was cool and what wasn't ever. But I think he just, he because he was kind of a trendsetter and like, I don't find this interesting anymore. I don't mm -hmm. find th th this this trade interesting anymore. Right. And I think Greg had a lot of respect for the business. He always did. He, he worked with the Academy. He produced uh, one of the Oscar telecasts. He, he helped create the American Film Institute. So he was right and, in there with Hollywood, the get-go. Like you said, yes, you know, politically and, and creatively yes. in every way. He, but that and, was a lot of those, that generation, Gregory's generation of actors felt. And when, I think, again, one thing, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no. what hit me so, so hard is that I, I always thought Greg was one of the only guys who did all that with real dignity. Because I think it's, the other guys who just kept showing up at, at, at these events and tuxedos and everything, you'd just see the same people, you'd see the same stuff. And there was something about Greg who he, he kept the dignity of things 
And it wasn't, it was, it was undeniable. It wasn't like, it wasn't like an act, not just, you know, I'm just, it's not an act. I'm it's here, not lip, it's not lip yeah. service. Yeah. 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 And that's where I thought Marlon was just baffled. As I even speculate in the book, I thought Marlon must just look at him and say, how does he get away with it? How does he look this good? How, how does he, how do people love him so much? And, and, and he's a sincere, he's a sincere guy. That's the thing. Usually you, you'd talk to some of these older guys and you'd realize, oh, it's too bad. They're, not, they're nothing what I thought they were. You know, they're you know they're just kind of angry and bitter. And that really wasn't Gregory. Um, it was just unique. Well, Marlon was was, was just an open book to me. Such I mean, an emotional, he was just, an, oh, just a you know, yeah. just a baby. I just you know, I just like I said, <laughs> I want to pinch those cheeks, not his bum bum cheeks. I'll pinch his top cheeks and. Just say, Marlon, you cutie. Put your shoes on, or socks at least. And get them out of my face right now, okay? <laughs> he is, though, but he was so cute. And, um, you know, his little money-making schemes and his whole thing, and, and it, it was adorable. I just want to mention that you went to parties, and you met Frank Sinatra, and Frank and Marlon notoriously hated each other, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Guys and yeah, dolls. Uh, <clears throat> guys and dolls. And, and I, it's funny, one of the, the two things he talked about, he wasn't always that open about who he liked or didn't like in, in, in working relationships. Right. But he would talk about Sinatra not liking him at all. And he talked about Charlie Chaplin, who uh, he directed him in 1967 in A Countess from Hong Kong. Huh. And um, Chaplin would just get him angry. Uh, he just thought Chaplin was just, Chaplin was directing a film. He was mean to his own son. Chaplin put his son in this film that Sophia Lauren and Marlon were in it. And, and so he talked about Chaplin, but he, he, he had just the, the most re- ready, uh, dislike of Frank. I, 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 seen from anybody, I guess. And, and some people say, I used, Tony always thought, and guys and dolls, they just should have had the other part. He thought they were given the wrong parts. And I don't know. I, you know, I don't know guys and dolls that well. I know the film. Who was in that? I don't know. No. Well, uh, Marlon was Sky Masterson, I guess. And and then uh, Sinatra was, I can't remember the other character's name, but I think Vivian Blaine was one of the women. And then, um, Oh, uh, Gene Simmons. Lovely who Gene, was in, yeah. Yeah, and she was in, that woman could do anything. I love I mean, Gene she was, she was Shakespearean. She could do music. She She's could, gorgeous, she, too. Perfection, perfection, yeah. She did a yeah. uh, wonderful noir with um, oh, my darling Robert Mitchum, and it was called Angel Face, and she was okay, so good yeah. in that. She was great. Yeah. That's another one of my dream boats is Robert Mitchum. Growl. Different than Gregory. <laughs> That's for sure. Different from Gregory. Yeah, they but. worked together, yeah. But, um, yeah, I always thought that Mar- I always thought Mitchum was kind of like uh, like Greg's kind of uh, shiftless brother, if you will, when I'd see them, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. they, they had a certain kind of resemblance, and they had, I think they had camaraderie. They even worked together again in the... Cape Fear reunion film, if oh, you will, yes. if you call it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Mitchum was great. I loved. Uh, uh, yeah, I do. And you liked uh, Walter Matthau a lot. He was a good Walter guy. Matthau, such a funny guy. And again, at the Carrollwood parties, I was afraid to talk to people. You know, I 
I would, I was, yes, I got to meet Frank that just held high by. Yeah, and then he'd go in the um, corner. Yeah. And then, and there's others you, you know, you talk to and you're just honored to talk to Sydney Portier yeah. or even talk Ooh, to uh, someone. Yeah, incredible. You just like, I, I, I'm, I'm so glad to have met you. Now I won't bother you anymore. I'm going to go across the room. And then there's Walter Matthau and he just wants to tell you dirty jokes and laugh. <laughs> and, and he was hysterical. And I bring him up a lot too because his wife, Somehow was good friends with Marlon back from New York, and they would talk on the phone all the I time. Found Carol Mathis, fascinating. Now, Carol was wasn't she friends with Gloria Vanderbilt and uh, the woman, the young woman who ended up Una Chaplin, the woman. That sounds correct. You know, she was uh, a real... Like a uh, debutante a and kind of... Yeah, uh, she was a fixture in that New York intelligentsia. And, of course, people famously say that she was the absolute inspiration for Holly Golightly in, in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's because she was great friends with Truman Capote. And she was a real socialite. So I that's where I... I, I assume Marlon met her back in his Stella Adler days, and they talk on the phone a lot. I bet she and, got some good gossip. He gave her. She got some good gossip from her. He got like some good I said, gossip from her. Yeah, I could never talk. To, I would never talk to her at the Carolwood parties about Marlon because I always thought she'd say, "I met this friend of yours, this young man," and then Marlon would be like. So ticked off that I'm out in the world talking about him for some reason. So, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, and then he's probably would be hurt. He didn't talk about me, so he. I think right, he felt right. very hurt in some ways. That I think he thought that they they didn't like him, or you know, maybe they, and they didn't probably like him. Like wh- what happened? He said that when um, his daughter died, he got nothing. From anyone in Hollywood, in sympathy, a card from them. Yeah, from his that, close friends. That, yes, a, but from anyone else, no. Mm-mm. And that—that's a story I save for the end of the book because it involved Greg, and it was. Um, that's exactly right, and I and I think because, well, again, he was he was Brando, and some people just said. I remember now and then I'd. I talked to people who knew him pretty well, like Al Ruddy was a producer who produced The Godfather, and I, I worked for him for a little bit. And he would just say, uh, can anyone talk to him anymore? And I thought, they, they, they feel like he's he's gone, gone off into another place. And I think when it all, did happen with his daughter, it was, as I said, so epic and, and so unapproachable. And how do you even begin to send a note saying, hi, I hope you're okay. Well, we haven't, to- we haven't talked for years. I don't even I don't think know. you have I, to say we haven't talked for years. You could just say, yeah. I'm so sorry to have heard about what happened to your daughter. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to go into excuses or I haven't talked to you for years. You can feel empathy and sympathy for someone, you know, and you yeah. don't have to be best pals with them. You know what I mean? I, I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. So no, that made no, me I, feel you're, sad. You're, yeah, and I think that and that that's every bit of that story is true, and and the story is really about Avra asking me to have Greg write Marlon a letter, and it was a real Ooh, that was a brouhaha. <laughs> yes, it was, and and you had to know Greg to know how it wasn't something he really cared to do at the time, mm-hmm. and um, he called you guys I, starstruck. I, it was really interesting. You know, Greg yeah. thought that we just crossed a line, I think, because we'd all known each other for so long at that time. But I think Greg thought, OK, don't ask me to do this. And um, 
as I'll give the spoiler in the book, you know, he he somehow sent a letter without telling anybody. And uh, we don't know what it was in there or what that was about. But it was fascinating. That, and, and that's another aspect of something where I said, I got to I, I need to write this book. Because, and also, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And the thing was, Marlon didn't. Did you get Jamalia? He didn't tell you. He didn't tell anybody. No, no. And that's where I think Marlon and Greg had some dislike of one another. They that, that they didn't want to do. And I can speculate. I have no idea. I just think that maybe they were just too different from one another. And they just uh, really wanted to go out. Uh, with dignity. Yes. The, the the big project in the book for Greg is our, our, our Ingmar Bergman. Yeah. Martin Scorsese. We worked on with Sean Penn. And yet we couldn't get this thing made. It was a big art film that was very difficult to get made. And I think Greg could have gotten version of it done without Scorsese and Sean yeah. Penn and people like yeah. that. But instead, but but he he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to make a cheap version. Mark, you know, Greg knew he was at the end, and he's he thought I'm going to go out. I don't want to go out with one of these guys who's just going to go popping up on talk shows and show up everywhere and keep saying I'm here, I'm here. And that was so. I, that's what so much of the book is about. How do you go out in in your in style, if you will. Marlon wanted to go out with a series of acting tapes, and people told him to his face, you can't do that. That's Warren funny. Beatty told him to his face, you we can't do that. that. That is too funny. That you'll, was you'll, the really, part. Hmm? You'll ruin the franchise, Beatty kept telling him. You know, the so, franchise. Um, you know what? Yeah. And also at that time, um, the tabloids, you know, they, you know, it wasn't like now where you can get gossip, you know, you know in a fortune cookie fresh off the press. You can get gossip everywhere. But at the time, you know, like the National Enquirer, all those things were staking Marlon out. He was obese. You know, so they'd Mm -hmm. pictures of him, you know, with his robe halfway tied and his tidy whities (laughs) and his hair in a ponytail or whatever. And they just made fun of him terribly. And, you know, people are scoffing. And you, you know who reads those tabloids? Hollywood actors and actresses, too. They love to read those tabloids. So there was a lot of it that broke my heart for him. I think a lot of it he kind of brought on to himself. You know, he made that kind of character of himself. But I do want to talk about the tapes. I just want to say your night with Warren Beatty and Annette Bening. This is a hoot. So he wanted to make these acting videos, right? Yeah. And he made them. Yeah, I... He made them. He made and, and I edited twelve of them together, thirteen, <laughs> counting this one hour of of, of a, a documentary on the day that the, the the class kind of blew apart on him. And um, <laughs> he he, as I said, he always wanted to do something that was would give him an income beyond acting. And he and I finally thought, I think cleverly in a way, in that that era of DVDs and one eight hundred numbers and infomercials. That right. how about acting acting by Marlon Brando? How could that miss? And so he, I was off making a film when he shot them. So he shot them with a director named Tony Kay. But then they had a breakup. And so he said to me, can you edit these together? And I said, sure. So I I needed work at the time. My daughter was born. And 
Abra was already working up there. Mm-hmm. And we made the tapes, and, and Marlon it was very kind of loose and free and easy the way he he worked these these classes. Right. But it was a strange collection of people. Some people actually, he had homeless people. He had movie stars in the class. Michael Jackson. <laughs> Michael Jackson showed up. Yes. Oh. So it's it, it just a strange uh, uh, thing to, to put together. But it, as, as hard as I tried to make it look, look like acting tapes, it, I don't think it, it came together like that. And one of the first things we did when we finally thought we were done after a year of working on them, he wanted to show them to Warren Beatty, who just lived down the way up on Mulholland. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, 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 he would claim that he wasn't crazy about Warren, but he trusted his judgment. And I thought that was a funny way to put it because I could see that, you know, Warren is just such a, a difficult person to know, I believe. And yet you would trust his judgment. He's an amazing He's a smart guy, yeah. totally upfront, and 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 you know, pretty brilliant. Especially if you look at his movies and you realize, wow, he's so calculated mm-hmm. in a good way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah. he kind of was the first <laughs> to tell Marlon, "This isn't something you want people to see." And it was a very long night. Well, it's but, funny. Uh, it was all like a foo foo dinner party. Annette Benning was there, yeah. who is his lovely wife. And she's like, yeah. they're like talking to you. You're from Julie. She's like asking, "What is the point of this? You're from Juilliard and acting, and what? You know, they just didn't get the whole thing, and that it was not yeah. a good thing. And you, you, <laughs> when Marlon, Marlon comes up to you and you say to Marlon, "Fat burgers after here," because you knew you weren't going to get any food. It was going to be this foo fooey, foo foo food. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marlon and I did bond over just eating bad food. I will say that. I was not <laughs> proud of it. But, you know, like I said, he didn't have that many male friends and he didn't have people. He was always around people saying, you can't eat that. So once uh, Abra brought me up there and we decided to be writing partners right. and things like that, he'd say, well, where do you want to go? And I'd say, uh, well, you want to go to like to 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 Fat Burgers or something? And he said <laughs> yes, and he'd go running for the car. So, and it was you know, I thought that was it was always fun to do that with him. But he's but so as cute. I, it's like a kid, you know. There's so much yeah. about him that sort of, to me, seemed childlike, and and yeah, you know, he told you he was not bisexual. Why in the world would he tell you one way or another? I don't know. I remember, like I said, he brought that up when he was talking about Michael Jackson, yeah. and and then he 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 just he it just came out. He just said, you know, he he was talking. It was early on when I first met him, and he was talking about. I somehow I brought up civil rights and all the stuff I knew he had done, mm-hmm. and he said what he didn't like though is the, the he, he thought the way the. He felt the gay community was taking ownership of him, and he 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 didn't like that, and that led to then him saying that he, you know, they people have said for years that I I liked men, but that Wally Cox, no. you know, his best friend, yeah. you know, yeah. So I again, I know all the the stories and what's been written, and there's even some people say there's there's quotes from Marlon himself saying certain things that that. He he cops to in in that area, right. but I remember distinctly him saying it, and I don't know I I don't know what why that came out of his mouth that night, but he just said it, and I I thought that's interesting. I think you know, I think you get older and you start to think oh, I, you know you 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 think you can 
or either retract certain things, or I really don't know. I don't know. I have a clue. Yeah, because that seemed to be something that he really wouldn't be thinking about at that point. And he told you a rather startling thing about Michael Jackson, which shocked me, but we're going to let people read that in the book because there's so much juicy stuff. But I just want to end with, we'll get to the end, but I just want to tell everybody. So um, your wife was at the dinner. She left early and you guys stayed longer. Annette went to bed. You guys stayed longer and talked. And then Marl, um, and then <laughs> what's his face? Warren Beatty drives you home. And I don't know why. I'll just, you say, oh, I really liked Ishtar. <laughs> well, the more it said, yes, it's a, I thought it was very good. And I thought you were getting him to kind of be like mean back because he was kind of rude. But you really liked Ishtar. Oh, my. <laughs> well, Ishtar is a, I, look. Ishtar is kind of a funny movie. I, I think it's 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 better than people think. But I, I do I did it. I do recall reading that that Beatty was very defensive about Ishtar, mm. and so he was kind of attacking Marlon on the tapes. And that's when I brought it up because he was then talking about Marlon. You should do what I'm doing. I'm putting my all my films together, and it's a very <laughs> delicate situation because I have to work with Paramount and Disney, and I have to work with all these people together. And and that's what you should think about that kind of legacy, which Marlon could care less about. He doesn't care about where his movies end up. But I thought it was interesting. Uh, and I said, I hope Ishtar is in that collection. <laughs> and Marlon laughed at just hearing Ishtar. I, I don't even <laughs> know if he knew the I think he heard the word and he laughed. And then Warren was defending the movie. And I said, yeah, no, I like Ishtar. It's fine. But I also, but you that know. that was I funny. I thought you were just doing it as a disc. I thought that was hysterical. I said, whoa. Well, that's and one of the last things he said, he was glad I liked Ishtar. One of the last things he well, said to when me when you almost like, died in the backseat of his car, because he had this teeny-weeny car. He was going to drive you guys to Marlins. Because yeah, in this tiny car. And Marlins a big guy. Didn't he have another and, car? My goodness. Well, we, Avra and Marlon and I drove there together, and Avra had to pick up Molly, our daughter, from mm-hmm. the babysitter, and that's when Beatty said, I'll get them home. And we thought, I thought, well, he, you know, this guy must have a fleet of cars. I didn't even think about it. Or a net. Drive a net, at least. It's anything, anything. Yeah. I, th- I thought, what the heck? But he shows up in this tiny car. There was not even a backseat. <laughs> and I, I, I crawled in there somehow. <laughs> yeah, you said when Marlon got in, the whole thing. Kind of shit. Yeah, and Beatty, and I remember Beatty just, it just, he just reminded me of one of his characters in the 70s, you know, where he played these kind of fidgety, nervous types, and he was trying to get, trying to shut the doors on the car. It was, uh, yeah, it's something you don't forget. I'll put it that way. But it's funny, and then Marlon's getting out, and he's like uh, mumbling like he's asleep. Or not. I'll take him. <laughs> <laughs> he said, is he gone? And he was like, are you asleep? No, not really. But he didn't want to talk to him anymore. He said, I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that, again, I think he really got that forceful that night. I don't know if he always hate hated him, but he always uh, – I don't think he hate hated him, but I think he hated him that night, and you know. Oh yeah, yeah, I don't understand. Terrible food. Yeah, come on. Well, <laughs> you guys went well, to Fat he, Burger. We went to Fat Burgers afterwards, <laughs> and, um, and and it was just it was a, a really memorable night, and I just think that, uh, you know, Marlon. What an adventure he was. He was just always, there was one thing like that after the other. I mean, 
There's a huge chapter in the middle where we ended up at CBS trying to oh, get so a movie made. Oh, so much great stuff. Oh, you know, there's so much in this book. There's the inner workings of Hollywood and behind the scenes and getting in with all these people and, you know, the big big cheeseburgers and the whole, not, not fat burgers, but I mean the big cheese guys and all that other yeah. stuff. And it's fascinating. And it's like, ugh, you know, it can be repulsive as well, like. You know, you're really going to want yeah. this to be there because people True. aren't yeah. really that nice. There are some, yeah. but not a lot. And what you guys were dealing with and what your it, your work, your stuff, your wife, your daughter, uh, Marlon, who I fell in love with, I really did. That's what I just wanted to tickle him. And um, <laughs> Gregory, who I still adore. I love how you guys were watching, what was it, the Reagan um, the Reagan the Library. The Reagan Library, yeah. <laughs> Gregory's oh swearing in there or something. <laughs> Never seen Greg like that. But I, he was so, and he was the real deal. That's what I say, too. If people ever thought, oh, was he like some limousine liberal or something? No, he was, he had real fire when it came to politics. And um, That was yeah, funny. That, <laughs> that was yeah. very funny. And so, of course, at the end of the book, I'm not spoiling it, both of the men die, and um, there's a humongous, humongous outpouring for Gregory, of course. And Marlon, it was more of a family thing. And, you know, they both were, I think, really wonderful men in their own ways. You know, to me, I would have wanted yeah. to hang out with Marlon, you know, because I could have a little more fun. Maybe Marlon yeah. would not <laughs> let me have too much fun singing around Gregory and saying, hey, Gregory. You know, she'd be a little harder because they watch out for their guys, these these women. And he, <laughs> But I would love Gregory. I would have loved to, to have a glass of wine and say hello to him. He, he just seemed exactly as I said. But you also said it, he was inner. He was much an inner person, and he had much complexity to him, you know, more than we know, you know, because he kept I so believe much that to totally, himself. yeah. Yeah, I believe yeah, that. yeah. And like I said, I think uh, I, I will go back to this every time. I think it's very hard to have all those years and end up in Hollywood with real dignity. I think it's a very difficult thing. And I don't know if anyone's ever done it better. Not that dignity is everything. I'm just saying when you look at dignity uh, in, in, a, in a business of you know painting your face and doing plays and right. things like that, Greg, Gregory Peck just somehow did it beyond anybody else. And you would hear from other stars that just – they would be like envious of how Greg could do it. You know, they looked up to him. Sinatra looked up to him. Well, he was the um, epitome to me of, you know, just this very intelligent, kind, um, smart man, along with being yeah. hubba yeah. hubba, you know, and he did have yeah. such a dignity and he did have all that. And on the other hand, Marlon did too, but it was not, that discipline dignity. Marlon was Marlon. Marlon was my his heart on his sleeve, you know, with ketchup on his sleeve from a grease burger, whatever. Yeah. You know, he was just yeah. who he was. And I had as much love for Marlon as I did for Gregory. And, you know, whatever. I felt for him. Yeah. I really felt well, for him. It's a wonderful also, book. You caught well. Them I both. thank you for reading it, Grace. I'm so glad you 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 enjoyed it. I, I really did. did a lot and to I, me. You know, I'm sitting here laughing out loud, 
what, what? I'm just reading this book, and I'm just laughing. The cats get scared because if I laugh really loud, because I can laugh really loud, and he just kind of runs. But I, you know, nothing I love better than a book that makes me learn about people. I learned so much about uh, Marlon that I didn't know. Fascinating about Gregory, but it's what pretty much how I felt he would be. And it, it's just such a good book about Hollywood and the whole thing and working the system and the movies and things like that. So check it out, you guys. I give my I give you how many stars can you give a book? I'll give you five stars. How's that? Well thank you. You're welcome, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good read. You're gonna love it. And I, I we didn't talk about so much. There's just so much in it and you're gonna have another funny Val Kilmer story. Oh my God, you're gonna love that one. Okay. So I had a wonderful time, and I want you guys, because there's so much more to listen to, and the name of the book is Marlon and Greg, My Life and Filmmaking Adventures with Hollywood, Hollywood's Polar Opposites by the wonderful Jose, also known as Joseph Bretzman. <laughs> I loved it, and I loved the book, and please check it out. I'm going to link you guys to the book. And anything else you want to tell us about? You want me to link? Just email me if you want me to link something up. No, it sounds like you're doing everything right. And I thank you so much, Grace. I uh, just I can't tell you how much I appreciate you going through the book and reading it as carefully as you did and enjoying it. And I had a great time. So did I. I really did. And I enjoyed the book. So, yeah, double double my pleasure, double my fun. Read and talk. Ain't it great? <laughs> okay, thanks, everybody. Till next time. And thank you, Joseph. Bye. Stories